What's happening, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to episode 13 of the Carbide Podcast with Brett Bender. If you followed Snowcross in the mid to late 2000s, Brett was a phenom that rose to the top level of the sport very quickly. His natural talent, smooth riding style instantly had him battling and beating the top names in the sport in just his rookie year. Unfortunately for all of us, a series of injuries over the next few seasons would hinder his progression, and we never really got to see a peak Brett Bender. He really is a living, breathing bench racing question, and this interview only made things worse for me. I hope you enjoy our discussion. Welcome back, everybody, to the Carbide Podcast. Appreciate you guys tuning in, as always. On the line tonight, one of the most recognizable family names in the sport, longtime factory Polaris racer with Team Hentges, champion at the Grand Prix Skidoo Valcour. And we've seen him on top of the podium countless times in the semi-pro class and the pro open class at ISOC. This is Brett Bender. How are we doing, Brett? Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, excited to get into some... Uh some topics here yeah it should be fun you got uh you got one of the cooler stories in in the sport of snowcross so looking forward to diving into it a bit thanks man yeah coming from the east coast it's um it always feels good to um go back and talk about it, it doesn't snow out here as much anymore so it's nice to <laughs> nice to hear about the old days oh for sure for sure we'll get we'll uh we'll get right into it then brett so you know your dad really iconic name in the sport. So, you know, you've kind of been around snowmobiling most of your life. So I'm sure there were sleds around the house growing up and things like that. But what's the earliest memory of snowmobiling for you, if you can go back that far? Oh, man. Um, yeah, I mean, it was snowmobiles for as far back as I can go. Um, my dad's shop was right next to the house. And uh, he had an aftermarket shop building uh, pipes, silencers and cases and heads and everything for snowmobiles and he used to sell it out of the, the shop right there so i mean i grew up <clears throat> standing right next to him in the shop the whole time i really wish i paid attention a lot more <laughs> but <laughs> but uh but um it was great uh i think the first sled he got me was uh, a kitty cat mm -hmm. and uh the little arctic cat there and um had a little cheetah seat from what i remember nice and uh, <laughs> yeah it was awesome and uh, just riding that around the parking lot until it run out of gas and then fill it back up and do the same thing over and over every single day. Um, it was a blast. So it sounds like then, you know, you kind of got hooked on snowmobiling immediately. It wasn't something that like came later in life. You were, you were hooked instantly. Yeah. I mean, I was, I don't know the age exactly of when, um, when he got me that, uh, my timelines are never, never accurate. Um, but yeah, it was, I was just instantly hooked. Um, I rode that thing everywhere around the house. My, my grandparents grew up or my grandparents house was right next to my parents house. So I grew up right next to them and, uh, I would just ride everywhere and just bury that thing every single day and then, uh, go over to the shop and beg someone to come dig me out. And then they would, <laughs> you know, help me out and do the same thing over and over again. And, and then we got a couple of snow scoots and that was, that was a game changer. Those I still think are one of the coolest snowmobiles ever made. Um, they're just so fun to ride. And we used to, 
we used to just ride around my uh, driveway all the time. We, uh, two of my friends who lived down the street, um, their father was also really into snowmobiling, uh, Tyler Settlemeyer and Adam Settlemeyer. Yep. 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 And, uh, they also got some snow scoots and we would build tracks in my driveway. And I mean, just ride all day, every day after school, as much as we possibly could. So it's always a great time. Well, I mean, between the the three of you guys, there's there's a there's a lot of snowcross history to talk about there with the Sedemar brothers too. But I'm curious, you know, for you, did you kind of get interested in racing immediately, or were you just kind of ripping around the yard and, and having fun for a while? Um, it was kind. Of, I mean, I'm just a competitive person in general. If it, if we're doing anything, I I want to win. Um, mm-hmm. it was kind of just born into that. Grew up around it. Um. My dad raced cars when I was younger and I remember standing at the track watching him and getting interviewed on TV when he got the pole at Charlotte. And, um, I just seeing him stand up on top of the box. I just had a goal to do the exact same thing since I was really young. Um, so I was hooked instantly. And then, so I think the first race we went to, I, I have no idea the year it was like maybe 11 years old or something. And we went to watch, uh, a friend of mine or my dad's friend race at, uh, some track nearby. And I borrowed, I can't remember the exact story, but like my dad's friend came up to us and was like, why don't you put Brett out there? Um, I've got an MXC 500 that he can, uh, that he can use. And my dad was like, well, if he wants to, and I instantly jumped at the occasion. And so I, I think it was, I think I was a little 12 years old or maybe younger, not sure. But uh, jumped on the class and um, hole shot it and got first in it. And I was instantly hooked from there. I was bagging my dad the whole way home that we need to do this more. And I don't think it was his really intentions to push me into that. My dad's whole career was, you know, snowmobiles and cars. And I think he just didn't want to see me get hurt. But, like, mm-hmm. I just would not let it go. So <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was definitely no change in, uh, change in my mind after that. Yeah, it, it. I mean, it sounds like it runs in the family. I'm sure you know it's, it's, it's just as much his problem. That's that's what he created. Created, you know. Like, of course, you're gonna be like that. But was he? I mean, was he? Was he pretty reluctant? Like when you started begging, when he's like, "Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna buy you. I'm not gonna buy you sled." Or did you have to? Did you have to butter him up a little bit before he could really go all in. I mean, we had always had you know sleds and stuff, and um, I mean, I still have two snow scoots over in the over in my dad's shop. Oh, it's and. Uh, yeah, they're they're awesome. We put a uh, we put car shocks on the one so you can really send that thing. <laughs> um, but I don't really remember how much I pushed. I'm sure I'm sure he was just excited that I was so excited about it. And I mean, we just didn't. I mean, he knew what he was doing, obviously, like his side mm-hmm. of it. But I I had no idea what I was doing. I just wanted to jump everything that I saw, and. Um, was just trying to get, you know, comfortable on the bigger sled. I, I wasn't really tall back then. So, you know, and sleds weren't really fit for the smaller sizes at the time. So mm-hmm. when he jumped to a 440 or like a, like a fan sled or whatever it was, the first one there, it was just, it felt like a giant, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was just trying to get comfortable on all that. So even though you were pretty young at this time, Brett, did you feel, I mean, you, like you said, you had success kind of right off the bat racing. I'm assuming it was a rock maple series back then. Did you kind of feel like you were, I don't want to say like national level fast already, 
or were you still just kind of like, yeah, I'm a fast local guy and this is fun, but I don't really know where I want to take it yet. You know what I mean? To be honest, I don't, I don't think I knew anything about the nationals at that point at all. Oh, okay. um, we raced, you know, when we got into it, we started going to races out East and I remember that my, uh, well, just going whatever was close to the house. And then, and then it was like, Oh, there's a circuit out East. We could follow that circuit. And thankfully my, you know, uh, dad jumped on board and i mean with without your parents at that age there's no way you're doing anything like that yeah. and my, my dad put a full effort into it you know what i mean so mm-hmm. i mean i'd get out of school and sleep in the truck while he drove and like i <laughs> i just thinking back to that like it's just crazy i mean it give him so much uh so much credit for doing all that um but yeah it was i, I don't think i really knew too much about the the pro stuff then other than maybe seeing a few clips on um you know uh, friends tapes or something at the time, but, uh, it just was, the plan was just to race out East. And then when things, when the ball started to roll, we started to do a little bit better Then it was like, Oh, well, let's look to see maybe to jump it up and go check out the big circuit, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, from, you know, we've, I've talked about this on some of my, my other episodes, cause I've had a lot of East coast guys on and I think the Midwest guys severely underestimate how difficult it is for East Coast and New England guys to actually get the opportunity to go out west because you gotta you gotta drive out there and race to be seen, especially in the time period when you were coming up. So I was kind of curious if you can remember what that process went like when you finally decided to to come out to the Midwest and race because you're still a teenager, still living in New York, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, um yeah. I wish I could remember that process a little bit better. I know, um, I mean, it helped having, uh, you know, friends who were, who were thinking the same thing, like Adam and Tyler, uh, their, their, uh, their dad, Ed over there. Um, he, he was on board with the same thing. So I think we might've went out the same year for the first time. So it kind of helped okay. having a little bit of us kind of do it together a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was just it thinking back, like it, I think my entire career would be different if I grew up you know, out West or in mm-hmm. Wisconsin or something, because it's just, it's such a different, such a different vibe in general. You know what I mean? Like driving 20 hours to your first national race is a totally different situation than mm-hmm. driving an hour and a half. Um, so it's just, it changed our whole game plan and focus. We'd only get out maybe to Duluth, you know, mm-hmm. and then if anything came out East, we'd try to get to that one, but it was impossible to go to everything else. Was your dad around this time? Was he still full time in the shop? Like, had he or had he kind of transitioned to working on the factory side too? Like, was he around when you were racing at this level, or was he in and out? Yeah, so he didn't. He didn't get picked up. Um, Yeah, so he still had been to racing at the time when all this was going on, and then he. Again, I'm terrible with years. Too many concussions over here. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry about that, guys. But um, yeah, so he was still with uh, at his company at the time. He ended up selling Bender Racing, um, and then he started uh, a Cup Light series, which was uh, quarter scale Cup cars um, that raced around the area here that were uh, had a snowmobile engine in them as well. Nice, and um, they were awesome in general but um that picked up for him really well so he was doing that all the time so the snow season he was helping me out and then he was doing that the rest of the year um but that was his big focus at the time 
Okay. Okay. So you kind of mentioned it, but it sounds like once you decided to kind of chase, you know, WSA at the time, you were just driving back and forth. If you were going to hit a national round, like you guys were, you weren't flying or anything like that. You were, you were grinding, you were driving back and forth. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, I didn't start flying to races till I got uh, picked up by the factory when I was, I think, like 17, maybe, um, or 16, maybe. Okay. And that was, you know, in high school, but they, I mean, I don't, um, I'm not trying to shortchange my, change myself, but I definitely got the opportunity, like, because of my dad and um, having him around is a big help, you know, no question. But I knew that I've known that my whole life. Um so it was more, it was more pressure. And also it made me push a lot harder of the training at home and riding as much as I can to try to, to try to follow up on, on all the, um, opportunities I got. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I did that when I first started and, um, definitely had some highs and lows, but, <laughs> but, um, I think I, uh, definitely put my best foot forward those first couple of years, you know? So you mentioned you're you're really bad with dates, Brett, and that's completely okay. But do you remember that first race or maybe the first couple races where you first hit nationals? Like how'd you stack up? Was it a culture shock? What do you, what can you remember? Um the first I think the first time we went out and raced a national in general was I think the sport class. And that was like okay. I mean, I could be exaggerating a little bit, but like I feel like there was like 120 people that signed up for the sport class, <laughs> if not, if not more, I'm, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not even sure. And I, I remember I could be wrong, but I think, I think there was like three qualifiers back then maybe. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I went like one, one, two, and was like second qualifier in the LCQ. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it was just wild. Like I, I felt, I felt good coming from, you know, in my age bracket, you know, coming from the East coast, but I mean, you'd race against, guys like uh ross or bobby lepage that i'd never even heard of and um <laughs> and uh they were just as fast as i was you know what i mean so it was it was tough uh tough off the bat but it definitely um as soon as i got a little bit more uh confident being around everybody then it uh, started to go a lot better uh, but at first it was i mean it was it was pretty uh i don't know scary i guess at that age too when you just you know that your <laughs> your dad and drove 20 hours and spent a lot to get out there and uh if you get another second you're not even going to qualify for the lcq so it was, <laughs> it was kind of wild yeah yeah it's gonna be a long long drive home if uh if we don't yeah. make the final i've definitely had that happen before too it's crazy you know what i mean you just crash and you just sit silently on the way home until your dad finally tells a joke you know what i mean (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's 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 interesting you know i did a i did an episode um a couple weeks ago with with dan ebert and he was kind of around in those same years with you in the in the sport class coming up and some of the stories he tells too where he's like dude it's like if you if you made it on the front row of the final that was already an accomplishment in itself like forget even podium or anything like that like if you're in the main event in the sport class around that time that is that's impressive yeah for sure i mean that's how it that's how it felt um yeah it's 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 funny how uh like quickly expectations will change you know like all i wanted to do was just make the final and then you make the final one time and then it's 
all I want to do is get on the podium. And if you don't, mm -hmm. if you, those incremental changes happen quickly, it's hard to go uh, backwards at all without being very upset about it. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just hard to keep your expectations correct. And um, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough going from the East coast, honestly. Mm -hmm. So do you remember at all? Cause you said you were kind of still in, in high school kind of teetering with, with racing a full-time national schedule, but you know, you're, like I said, you're still in school. You kind of got to figure out how this is going to work. Do you remember when you first kind of got to go all in on nationals? Like were you sophomore, junior, like how were you balancing that? Yeah, I think it was my junior in high school was when I got signed by Polaris, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. And, um, that was for team industries. Okay. Yep. And, and, uh, that was, that was wild. Uh, I would fly out to the race every Friday after school and usually fly home every Monday morning. So I'd miss a lot of Fridays and a lot of Mondays to school mm -hmm. and have to sit in the principal's office a lot and explain that, you know, like I have a job. And it's, it's yeah. I apologize that I'm not at school very often, but luckily, I, I mean, I didn't, I unfortunately didn't do better in school, but, uh, but, um, I was doing plenty enough to, to pass. So they couldn't really hold me back for it. And, um, but I remember we definitely met multiple times with teachers and principals and stuff to explain, <laughs> like, uh, you know, he's got a job outside and an opportunity that we're going to follow and, mm -hmm. It was, it was tough explaining, explaining oh, the, the uh, suburbs moms, you know, that were uh, <laughs> gone half the year to race snowbills in the other side of the country. So, Oh uh, yeah. It's, it's funny. Like I, I, I've had this conversation with my wife a few times cause I'm, I'm sure it was similar for you, Brett, where all of us who rode moto or rode snowcross or something in high school, we thought we were like, so cool. We thought what we did was so cool and everybody else just, you know, looking back, they all just thought we were weird they didn't understand it. Like it's even for you, like you're a, you're a pro snow cross racer in high school, but they just, they just don't get it. They don't get it. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'm not taking away from your, uh, your thought process on that, but I'll be honest with you. I did. I did not think that <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, like none of my friends be other than like Tyler and Adam, like none of them were gearheads in the slightest. So like all my other, all my other friends were into other stuff and I, didn't really talk about it much. And I just kind of kept to myself about it. Cause, uh, no one really, it didn't sound that cool to me to be honest at the time. Mm -hmm. And so like, I remember the exact, uh, the exact, <laughs> uh, change for me was, um, the second, I think when it was my senior year in high school, uh, we got sponsored by, um, Fox, uh, clothing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it was an awesome sponsorship. They were, they were very cool. It was, you know, they, anything you wanted, you could have. And they, I had really long hair at the time. <laughs> and they had a marketing director um, from California who wanted, uh, wanted to be in this. Uh, it's called, uh, it's called L girl. This okay. uh, chick magazine. And uh, <laughs> they wanted to be in it as like guy of the month or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so this photographer from California flies out to my house and like gets me standing on a snowmobile in the middle of summer in the field and takes this picture. And I didn't know anything about L girl or had ever heard of it in the slightest. Mm -hmm. And I answer these super cheesy questions anyways, and forget about it. 
cut to it comes out like a month or two later and not knowing that like the majority of the girls in my high school like read this magazine oh no way yeah and uh, <laughs> it like it like instantly changed my high school outlook that's for sure <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're like i mean you know girls would come up and be like oh my god this is you and then like it was just so funny i was like this is the most ridiculous thing ever but that's when i was like all right this is kind of cool you know <laughs> it's funny that's awesome. You, you you can't script stuff like that. Like that's that's no, just was, awesome. <laughs> yeah, random. Uh, one of the more interesting stories too that I had heard. I did uh, I did an episode with uh, with Bruce Junior from from Southside Bruce Gaspardi, and he was telling me that uh, at one point in time, I think it was oh eight, he actually raced quads uh, in the summertime for Southside. So I'm really kind of curious how that opportunity came about and. And if you had any history riding quads, yeah. Did he did he say what? Uh, um, it's funny because I I glanced at the the uh, topics you had up up here before um before we talked, and I was I was like, wow, I completely forgot about that. That was such a crazy <laughs> uh crazy experience. I had no, I had never ridden anything other than a um, you know, a quad around the like farm or something, mm-hmm. but I. I'd race dirt bikes in the summertime, my, you know, through high school and stuff. And I was like, you know, under, <laughs> under the, uh, thought process that like, oh, it'll be easy. Sure. You know, yeah, why right. not? And so they're, they're like, oh, do you want to race this quad? And I was like, yeah, why not? So they sent it out. I think I wrote it twice, maybe three times before signing up to go race. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. That's for sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> I uh, showed up to the race. I think we signed up for the A class to be completely honest. Oh, ballsy. And, yeah. With just, just stupidity. And, um, uh, it was, or no, you know what? I think it was the amateur class. I think it was the B class. Cause I think the, the other guy on the team was the A class. Yeah. I think it was the uh, B class because I ended up finishing second. Okay. And I, I just remember that like anytime it was like a tight double section, like real tight stuff where you had to be really technical, I felt really good and like could, you know, push forward with the other riders. But like those open corners where they're leaned all the way off that thing, holding it wide open, mm-hmm. that was just totally new to me. So that <laughs> that took a lot to learn. Um, it was a blast. It just wasn't really for me. I, I, I never really got comfortable on it, um, but it was it was definitely fun to do. And I mean, those guys ripped. There's no doubt about it. So. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, kind of switching back to snow a little bit. I mean, as you're kind of moving up through the ranks and in the semi-pro class, you know, we see a lot of podiums. You kind of establish yourself as you know that next guy coming up in semi-pro. So, bumped up to pro for the 08-09 season is going to be your rookie year. A lot of success that year, Brett. Um, you know, first podium at Brainerd, first win at Valcor. You end up winning rookie of the year, second overall in points. That must have been like one hell of a coming out party for you in the pro class at ISOC. Yeah, for sure. I mean, coming into coming into that year was a huge year too in semi pro. Um, we uh, before the season, I moved out to to Wisconsin after high school there, and uh, I'd stay out there throughout the snow season. And I was kind of back and forth from um, Henge's place and from up by the factory. And then we went out to uh, like Wally's house too. And um, we'd stay up there and train with him at his house, which was super fun. 
he's got you know a crazy playground up there mm-hmm. and uh yeah that was the first first years i was really like i mean i remember when we showed up to his house and it was me chris kafka and we're staying <laughs> we're staying at his house and we like go out you know grocery shopping and we're buying like you know oreos and just the the dumbest (laughs) stuff you could think of with like no thought about it in the slightest and like well you guys standing there and tj are standing there and they're like what in the hell are you guys eating you know what i mean and they like (laughs) they completely changed how i thought about the sport it was it was to me it was just you know like the funnest thing ever and like I just happened to be okay at it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, it turned more into like, wow, this is like a real job. I got to put some effort in this. So we started to go, to, going to the gym together and training and eating better. And it just changed my whole outlook on everything. And then coming into that season, we showed up at Duluth uh, and I won Saturday and Sunday back to back. And that was mm-hmm. just the greatest thing ever. I mean, I, I still have a poster somewhere where, uh, after the race, I'm like screaming into my team's arms. Um, it was, it's just, that was probably like all the pro wins and everything are amazing. But like that, just that show up to the, that summer pro year with like the first time I'd really put effort into it and just going back to back the first race, I was just very, very excited. So coming into the pro year, it was, I mean, I, I had expectations to hopefully get on the box, but, um, it honestly just turned out better than better than expected towards the end of the year. I really got the ball rolling, really felt comfortable on the sled and just, it, it was weird to race <laughs> some of these guys, you know, like, mm-hmm. like Robbie and TJ and all those guys. Like, I mean, I'd seen them since I was a little kid riding, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, it took me a couple races to get over the fact that like I'm battling with them, you know? And I, I, I remember just like, you know, hitting it like the tabletop and like scrubbing it and like glance over and like see somebody and just like in my head still be like, this is so crazy. You know what I mean? It was, just, yeah. it was still it like took me a second to like get over it. Um, but towards halfway through that, that year, I started to feel really comfortable. And then when I got that first win in Valcourt, Quebec, that was huge for me. Um, mm-hmm. It just, there's, there was just so many thoughts there. Like it was, it was so cold that day. It was such a brutal race. Um, passed Robbie for the win there. And I was, I was just so happy. My dad's, uh, my dad used to race ice ovals there and, um, he, you know, has been on the box there many times and he actually broke his femur up there. Uh, so it was just kind of like, uh, uh, you know, coming of age, like story that was just excited to be up on top of the box there. So, yeah. And I'm sure too, you know, it's, it's Quebec and there is, there is a national in, in upstate New York, but that's a pretty close to home race for you too. Like that's one of the closer home races, quote unquote, that you got. So it still must have been really cool to win there. Plus, to beat all the skidoos in Valcour must have been pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that always that always felt good for sure. That was always my favorite going up there. You know, you stop at a gas station, and they're like, "So, well, what kind of skidoo do you ride?" And you're like, oh, yeah. "I ride a Polaris." And they're like, "Oh, have fun skidooing." You know what I mean? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Totally different world up there. Um, great area. I just. It would be it would be nice to see it in the summer. It was always so brutal cold every time we were up there, but mm-hmm. still fun though. So I'm curious then, from what you can recall, you know, extremely successful rookie year, going into the 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 following year. Then were you? I mean, you, you must have had some confidence then. I mean, you're riding pretty high. I'm curious, kind of what the thought process was going into that next year. 
if you can remember. Yeah, I mean, um, I won I won the last three races there in my uh, first pro year, and um, I ended up second overall two years in a row, which drove me absolutely insane. Got second mm-hmm. in the semi pro season the year before, and second that year, which was a lot of money left on the table, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I trained. I trained harder than I ever had that year. I um, hired a trainer from down the road here and I was in the gym constantly riding all the time. And unfortunately, right before that next coming season, I, uh, I went to an indoor dirt bike track in Ohio and was riding and just clipped. Uh, I don't know if I clipped neutral, I think coming out of a corner on a triple or something like that. It was just something stupid. And I went over the bars and I broke my wrist and I was there with my buddy Tarek. And I remember, um, <laughs> we're in Ohio, which is like four hours from home. And I broke my left wrist and, uh, I was so angry cause it was like a month and a half before the season was supposed to start mm, that, brutal. that I like refused to let him drive. And I drove myself back home. Oh, God. I, I was, oh man, I was so angry. And, um, yeah, that, that just, yeah, that sent me down the wrong path for the rest of my career. But I uh, that healed wrong, so they had to re-break it and put a plate and screws in it, which was just a nightmare. And I just um, played the recovery game pretty much the rest of my mm-hmm. career. I've I had a bunch of highs after that, but just just a lot of injuries. Unfortunately, um, I wasn't wasn't the best at holding back when I should have sometimes, and uh, mm-hmm. tend to. Uh, tend to just get hurt (laughs) is what it is yeah i was i was gonna ask about that because you know basically from from 09 through 12 as you said you have your moments like it's you know they always use the expression like we see the flashes like we we know it's there we know the speed is there but it just never it never all culminated for you in like a, a deep championship run or anything like that like it was always just yeah he's He's crazy fast. He'll have his moments, but he can never, he's never really there when he needs to be there, you know? Yeah. Unfortunately, it was a lot of that. Um, I just, anytime I would get healthy, it was just another stupid injury. Um, Mm -hmm. The worst being, what was it, 2011, maybe, or 2010 season? That um, it was at Canterbury and uh, coming up to the tabletop, it had a big pocket in the face of the tabletop. And I remember um, I was coming up right alongside Ross and uh, he clipped the pocket and it literally shot him right. Like he stayed really low and I went high and it, it shot his trajectory right underneath me. So mm-hmm. I was flying over top of his head and I it had either like the quick choice to land directly on the back of his head or whip the sled out to try to avoid him. So I, I laid the thing completely over into like a flat whip to miss him and landed on the back of his snowmobile. And it, when I landed, I, I should have jumped off, but I, I kept my hands on the bars and it ripped my left shoulder out of place. Mm. And, um, I stood, I ran over the crowd and Canterbury was always the best because there's always people right on the fence right there. And I'm mm-hmm. flailing around, uh, flailing around like a fish trying to get my shoulder back in. <laughs> And, um, I finally got it back in place and that was just, uh, that was just the start of a whole bunch of nonsense for me. It, it was, I, the next following year, I think it came out like, I think nine different times during riding mm. and completely destroyed that joint and it just would not stay in. And I, 
kept putting off the surgery because I was nervous about um about the healing and how long it was going to take. And you know, I should have just I should have just got the surgery right away. But hindsight's twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I had a few different <laughs> few different crashes there that weren't so good. Almost bled to death at uh, um, Geneva. That was pretty wild. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I had some internal bleeding at a bad crash. I landed. I landed on the handlebars with my ribs or whatever, like clipped a hole and just took it to the ribs. And I was standing, I went back. That was, that's kind of funny to think about now. It was just a bad crash. I, I hit my head, got a bad concussion. Anyways, back at the truck and we're like going to go racing again. I'm like, whatever, let's, let's keep it going. And mm-hmm. I'm like, tell my dad, I'm like, yeah, my stomach's not feeling good. He's like, <laughs> he's like, you sure you, you're all right. He's like, do you want some ibuprofen or something? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and I walk outside and I, I started thrown up unfortunately and it was like the majority of it was blood mm. and um my nate uh henges my team owner at the time um uh, his uh his mom was there and thankfully she saw me and she's like you're going straight to the hospital right now mm-hmm. and um i was uh internally bleeding to, <laughs> almost to death which could have been pretty crazy but uh but thankfully it was caught and it was all good so that's the, that's the most like most motorsport story I've heard. It's like, well, yeah, I just rub some dirt in it. Yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> I, I really didn't think it was that bad. It was, it was, that was a crazy one. When I got to the hospital and they're like, yeah, wow. Like I had, I had a lot of, of blood in my stomach. So it was, it was pretty crazy. God, God. So, I mean, between all these injuries, just starting to stack up, I'm assuming that played a major role in you ultimately retiring and after 2012 for the first time, at least. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of things. There's, uh, there's, it just wasn't, it wasn't fun anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, too many injuries and just, just not the right atmosphere for me personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I got offered another, another two year extension on my contract Mm -hmm. and I just was just coming off, you know, healing up for the 20th time pretty much. And, uh, just couldn't wrap my head around putting myself through more, uh, pain at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was teammates with TJ and we were really close at the time, TJ Gula, and He was, he was on his way. He was on his way out of the, um, out of the sport the year before. Mm-hmm. And he was a huge influence on, uh, on my career earlier on, he's an incredibly hardworking, super talented rider. And just like, you could hit that dude with a baseball bat and he would jump up and jump back on the sled. You know what I mean? He was just a tough, mm-hmm. tough guy. And, uh, he not, not to, um, not that it was his fault in the slice, but I mean, being from Vermont, he's another eight hours farther than I was from home. Mm-hmm. And I think he was just done with the, the snow cross in general and, kind of having him be kind of bummed out that he's stuck out there all year round, kind of rubbed off on me a little bit too, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that the the guys that you have the advantage of from being out there is just being able to go home during the week and not be surrounded by this stuff. Like we would, we'd be in some apartments were nice, but some were crummy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you'd have your, your blow up air mattress on the ground cause you didn't care and didn't want to move all your stuff out there. Mm-hmm. So, it just wasn't a comfortable atmosphere. A lot of times you'd be healing up in these apartments where you didn't know anybody in the town. And 
it just, it just wasn't fun anymore. I just wanted to be home. And, uh, it was, I think it would have been a lot different if I would have moved right out there, right after high school and spot a mm-hmm. house and had somewhere to call home. I think that would have changed my career a lot, mm-hmm. but that's all hindsight. So when you kind of pull the plug and you retire, obviously this is a huge part of it is, you know, everything you just said mentally of traveling back and forth and basically still having your life in New York, like having your life back home and then your life of Snowcross, just two different things. Did you have anything brewing back home, like a new career strategy back home that you were looking to pursue? Or was it really just, I got to get out of snow and then I'll figure it out? (laughs) I'm not sure if I had anything uh, directly lined up. Gotcha. I was... Yeah, I was just over it at the time. Um, looking back, it would have been nice to really like give myself a, a if I could have like talked my way into it, give myself a full year to just heal and take the year off and then, you know, give it a full effort. Mm-hmm. But that's all right. And um, I've always been into art my whole life. Um, my sister's a, an artist as well. And um, I've always had a large focus of that um, so ever since I was a kid. So the last like two years on the tour i started drawing a lot more and wanted to get into tattooing and so came home and trained under uh, a friend and um started tattooing for a couple years that's awesome yeah i remember i was always really stoked to see see the ink you had i always thought it was really cool because i don't see a lot of snow guys with it so i always thought it was cool yeah oh man take it that just that just sparked so many so many uh funny thoughts in my head, like how corny the snowcross industry is in general. Um, it just like, I remember one year before it might've been my last year in semi-pro we were at Lavalli's house and, uh, me and Chris Kafka, like, uh, shaved the sides of our heads. So we had like big hawks, you know, like the big pointy hawk. And, um, I remember Polaris got, got wind of the a photograph that we posted on like whatever it was at the time facebook or something like that and had to like sit down and like sit with polaris and everything about how that i couldn't have that haircut to show up to the race and all this stuff i was like you guys are such dorks um and I, I like and I, I say that in like a caring way like they're all the greatest people ever it's not about that i just mean like the whole industry in general i was just like it, they just w- would wash anybody's personality. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to just be, be me. And that was kind of, um, wasn't always allowed to be, <laughs> which is fine. But uh, yeah, I just feel like that, that side was always just so funny to me. Yeah. And you can see it from both sides and you know, it's, it's really prevalent these days in moto where you have somebody like a, like a Eli Tomac, who's very cookie cutter, says all the same, says all the right stuff at the right time. He's perfect. Sells product. Then you have like Aaron Plessinger, who's just completely in the other direction. Like the other day he was throwing a dildo off the podium, you know, and people That's people good. love him like he sells just as much if not more product and he gets ktm just as much exposure like you know you can you can see it from both sides so it's been cool to kind of watch that evolution yeah for sure i mean you gotta i just that's the thing i never understood i mean it's i'm sure it's a lot different now you know i'm sure they push um people to actually be themselves a little bit more but it was just yeah i, I just i just never understood it i was like uh 
like this, you know, company's going to be bummed out because because uh, I was funny up on the podium versus, you know, saying the, the same sponsor line over and over and over. You know, I just I didn't really understand that whole process. But um, I feel like uh, I feel like that's probably changed a bit now. But I mean, I, every picture I would, you know, take with fans or whatever at the time, I would always just put the stupidest smile on my face or act just oh, yeah. so dumb and everything. I just I just didn't take anything seriously at the time. Not not because I didn't appreciate it um because it's all i cared about to be completely mm-hmm. honest it just it was just a lot more fun to me to have a good time so well that and i know you had earrings for a long time like you'd be up on the podium with earrings like there's a there's a lot there like there's a lot that you know even 10 years after your career people look back and like oh yeah brett bender he was he had the personality he was fast like he's a he's a missed guy in the sport <laughs> Well, thank you. Yeah, I had big gauge years and stuff back then. Yes, yeah, this is what it is back then. So, you know, in that 2013 year, you're back home, kind of readjusting to a normal life, working on the tattoo stuff. Were you following the sport? Like, was there an itch for you to get back or were you just fully disconnected? Um, Not fully. Uh, I mean, I, you know, paid attention a bit. And, um, I really had no interest in going back. And then, um, Southside called me and they're like, Hey, we've got, um, we got a good plan where you could, I mean, they were, I mean, I've known Bruce, uh, junior and Bruce senior there for years. And, um, I feel like they knew me well enough to just pitch me a good plan right away to be like, Hey, you can just show up and ride. You don't got to. You don't got to be out here and do too much. They just, they understood my thought process on it. I just, I I didn't want to, you know, stay out farther East. I just wanted to be home. And, and unfortunately I took that deal, um, to go race out East. And I honestly kind of regretted a little bit. Um, not, not because it wasn't a good experience. They, they put together, um, a great sled for me and stuff, but my, I just hadn't gotten shoulder surgery at the time yet. Mm, okay. mm-hmm. And, uh, I thought my shoulder was healed up and it just was not. And I, I feel like I, I definitely let them down. There's no doubt about it. I, you know, I'd qualify, I put down fastest qualifiers all the time out there and then I'd get out front or come from the back and my shoulder came out almost every race that I showed up to. Mm-hmm. Um, I just couldn't keep that thing in place. It came out like, I think 16 times total in like a year and a half. And it was just brutal. It was just hard to recover in between. And I I had everything you could think of with it taped and, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the whole shoulder harness set up there. And, um, one time I was out front, um, I can't remember which race it was, but I was out front and I was literally just going down the straightaway, not even like hitting a bump and it caught a random hole and it was my left arm and it just ripped my shoulder right out. I was like, I literally walked over to Bruce. I was like, I'm done. I'm going home. Like I cannot do this anymore. Um, I was, <laughs> I still feel bad about it. I just, I, I just didn't want to show up and, you know, have them put all that effort forward when I, I can't even hold on to the thing. So it was frustrating for both sides of us, unfortunately. Um, thankfully, I don't think they hold it against me at all, which is nice. But <laughs> it definitely, uh, it definitely bummed me out. So, yeah, it was it was pretty unfortunate. I remember first race of the year, 
I think it was Rumney. It was really like stupid small track. It was there wasn't even really a snowcross track, but for that weekend, like you know, Lincoln Lemieux still there, Mike Bowers there, Matthew Marin's there, Danny Poirier, Corin is there that weekend because he hasn't raced a national weekend. Like there was so much talent that first weekend, and then what was going to be that year? Like if you wouldn't, if you would have been able to stay healthy, we would have been in for quite a show that season. Yeah, no, I was excited about it too. I mean, I'd raced, you know, all those guys for years and um, I'd say I got along with all them too. So I was, I was excited to, I was excited to race the competition and excited to be back out East again. And it was going to be fun. It was, it was unfortunate that, uh, that I just couldn't hold on to the thing because I felt good. Um, It was, it was like quick glimpses of, you know, I, I just, I was really, uh, really getting good the last couple of years riding there, really scrubbing the sled off stuff. And I, I just wanted to just really put a, a point on the end of my career and just, and just have fun with it. And I couldn't even, I couldn't even do that. So it was, <laughs> it was uh, pretty eye opening, unfortunately, but um, it is what it is. My, uh, my, uh, my heart really wanted it, but my body just couldn't handle it, unfortunately. So that season, that was the last time we, we saw you on a snowcross track, Brett. So I'm curious if it was like, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm done, done. Or were you kind of bitter and did you, did it leave a sour taste as you were kind of walking away? Um, didn't, didn't really leave like a sour taste in my mouth. It was just more like, I gotta, you know, take care of all the things I've been putting off and got my shoulder fixed and got a bunch of pins and everything in there. And it's been relatively, relatively good sense. Um, but, uh, yeah, I it's, it's so funny, you know, you're, uh, I would love to, you know, to ride more, but you know, it's, it's, that's crazy. <laughs> so like, I mean, there's, I think, I think there's guys like Bobby LePage who probably still show up to races cause he's nuts. Yeah. <laughs> um, but other than, other than that, I mean, it's just like, I I doubt my body could handle any of that. I would love to just, you know, go out there and see if I could still put down some quick times, but that's about all I would have is about that two lap speed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, still be fun though. I mean, we've over the years, we've seen you from time to time. If, if you know what you're looking for, you can see Brett Bender in photo shoots from time to time. It's for me, it's, it's always the boots. The boots always stand out. I'm like, Oh yep, That's, that's Brett Bender. Like for sure the uh the old 32s or what, what, what yep. what's yep. The, yeah <laughs> yep. yeah 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 i started running those like way back in the day um yeah that was before a lot of the guys ran the snowboard boots and then i think i feel like everybody kind of switched over to that for a long time until the industry kind of picked up on that and then built the the better sole once but I used to burn through those 32s throughout the season <laughs> it's funny oh, awesome awesome well, I got a couple of final questions here for you, Brett, because we've kind of we've kind of rounded out your your racing career. So we're going to do some more retrospective stuff now. But, you know, I feel like I know the answer to this one, but I'll ask it anyway. If you look back on your entire career as a whole, what are your do you have any regrets and any big kind of what ifs? You've touched on them a lot, but I'm I'm curious. Um, All of it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no. There was some, um, there was some great time. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think like it, it feels, you know, cause it's, it's been a, it's been a while now. So it, it mm-hmm. feels like 
I kind of joke around at work sometimes, you know, um, I'm a, I'm a buyer at this aerospace company and, uh, someone will randomly, you know, hear that I used to race snowmobiles and I'm like, yeah, it was a past life. You know what I mean? It feels <laughs> yeah. that it feels that far away now, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of regrets there. Unfortunately, tons of highs. I mean, um, uh, when I qualified for the, for the Hill cross and X games, when I was 16, that was, that was absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just a lot of, a lot of small regrets in your X games. I just could never pull it together. That was so frustrating, especially in the pro years, because like I had beat, you know, the majority of all those guys before, and then I just couldn't pull it together there. Um, mm-hmm. just always had stupid issues. And then probably just, you know, just those main injuries that just kind of held me back. I just couldn't get uh, comfortable those few years. I kind of, I kind of just wish, you know, that I would have maybe just, I, I mean, I brought it up earlier, but just kind of made a home out West. And I feel like I would have been mm-hmm. a little bit more comfortable to, to really give that, that full effort, but having my life in Buffalo and then staying out there for seven months of the year, you really just, it really uh, got in my head after a while there. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, we there's not really much of a East Coast circuit left for for snowcross, but a lot of it's because all the fast East Coast guys have to basically move out west if they wanna if they really want to compete. So it's it's definitely a struggle for for anybody for sure. Mm-hmm. So over over the years throughout your career, you've had a lot of a lot of super fast teammates alongside you in the trailer. So you know. We mentioned TJ Gula, your Levi's teammate, Bobby LePage. Got Cody Cam for the last couple of years of your career. So I'm curious, who's the fastest teammate you think you had? Who's most competitive? Fastest teammate. Um, well, my favorite teammate was Chris Kafka. No, mm-hmm. no question about it. He was, when I moved to Wisconsin, uh, I got put up in a house with him and I had never met him before. And we, we shared a basement together because we had too many people in the house. Mm-hmm. And um, he he is the funniest human being I've ever met on this planet. He, absolutely hilarious. Um, drove this old uh, old station wagon covered in stickers and just I mean, his parents do well, and he would show up with a gear bag where it was his gear bag was a trash bag with all of his gear thrown in it, <laughs> and just like he's just the funniest person ever. He worked really hard, so he was definitely my favorite teammate. Um, and honestly, the rest of them all just had you know, we're so different. TJ was just such a, a tough competitor, um, on and off. I mean, he got in my face a lot of times and I deserved it a lot of times cause I was the young dumb punk and, but, uh, he was so great to have around. I mean, I learned so much from him just, you know, on and off the track from, you know, how he would ride, how he would, how he would just power through bumps. Just, it didn't matter if he was crashing into the face of it or what he was always going forward. Um, Bobby LePage and I were, I don't know, we were teammates for a quick second there maybe. Mm-hmm. And, um, he was just, he was, uh, he's unstoppable as well. I mean, he, his, his drive, um, was always very impressive to me. Very talented rider. Um, didn't, in my opinion, like not, anything against him. He didn't have like the cleanest style by any means, but it always, he could always get to the front no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, they all just had such different, different aspects. Well, Wally there too was just, um, 
I mean, he's just a force <laughs> to be mm -hmm. honest. He's absolutely hilarious. It, it, he's turned his snowcross career into his whole life. It's, it's the greatest mm -hmm. thing ever to see that he's still out there, you know, doing it. And, uh, you know, he likes having a lot of fun and he works incredibly hard as well. Um, I mean, he looked like he had like a 12 pack when we, you know, show up to the snowcross races because he mm -hmm. was just in such good shape at the time. He worked really hard and showed me a lot off the track to, you know, how to put the effort into the gym as well. And same thing, like he, he didn't have the size, he didn't have the natural, um, style at all, but just, he outworked anybody around him, which was just, just great to see, you know, taught me a lot. Yeah. It's, it's funny. I feel like we're getting to a point, like it just makes me feel old, but we're getting to a point where there's like, there's a generation of people of snow cross racers who think of Levi just as like a, like a X games freestyle guy or like a distance jump guy or his Red Bull yeah. videos. It's like, nah, he's, he was a snow cross guy and he was fast. Like that's where it started. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he was, he was definitely very fast. I, I'll, I'll never forget. Um, he was, well, I remember we were walking, I was still in semi-pro. We were walking in the, the crowd in Canterbury and he was out on the track for one of his, one of his heats or maybe an LCQ. And I can't remember the guy from Japan's name, but he was racing him to the line and he came absolutely wide open from the corner to the tabletop and like through the bumps, completely wide open. I think he just passed the Yamaha coming up the face and held the thing completely wide open landed into the next face of the double like straight into the face like as hard as he could and stayed on the sled i was like that was the dumbest most cool thing i've ever seen like that was he just like he had that full send ability and i mean still does no question about it it was it was just fun to watch he was he did not care in the slightest what was going to happen after after he hit the face of that you know i mean it was absolutely nuts i i wish i had some of that as well it's crazy <laughs> So not to get too deep and, and philosophical on this one, Brett, but you mentioned it kind of earlier on in the discussion. So I'm kind of curious your take on this. You know, your dad's, you know, he is who he is in the snowmobile world. And you kind of have this trajectory where you're trying to carve out your own identity in the sport. Like you're, you're fast enough to just race snowcross and get all this support on your own completely. But you have your dad's legacy and your dad's connections in the background just kind of curious how you had to navigate basically building out your own identity in the sport. Yeah, it was, it was tough for sure. Um, I didn't really, um, it never really bothered me to be completely mm -hmm. honest. I, I, I didn't see it as a downside. Um, like mm -hmm. I'm sure some people do, uh, it, it opened a lot of doors for me, which, which definitely, uh, which definitely helped quite a bit, but it definitely, laid that 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 pressure very young that i needed to follow through and i i tried to do my best to always do that um i mean i used to <laughs> i used to joke around about it a lot you know um i, I had a helmet painted that on the back of it said tim's son um <laughs> just just because i i thought it was absolutely hilarious and it was kind of screwing with my dad yeah and um I just, I just would poke at it a lot too, you know? So it, it didn't really bother to me much, but I, it was, I knew I was starting to do well when people would actually call me Brett. Cause I was definitely Tim's son for the longest time. Um, so I, I was starting to catch, you know, guys attention at a certain point there. 
Yeah, I was kind of curious about it because, as I mentioned, I just did an episode with uh, with Dan Ebert, and very, very similar story to yours. Like, follows a timeline, very similar, very similar family dynamic, and you know, some guys it doesn't bother them. Some guys they they don't like it. You know, they. I have uh, one of my old coworkers. His dad used to be the CEO of Polaris, and he said mm-hmm. I had no interest in working at Polaris because of that. Like I just didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with it. So it is cool that you were able to basically utilize that influence and those connections and run with it and actually make something of it. Like it is, it is really cool. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, that's unfortunate to not just, I mean, if you have an advantage or, I mean, it's, it it was, it was not even an advantage. I mean, we, we liked the same things, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, we butted heads all the time when I was younger. You know what I mean? It was, mm-hmm. it was tough to, you know, be on the road with my dad, the majority of my career. Um, when I raced in the semi-pro and pro, you know, I, we had apartments in, um, in the same town, but we would only, I would really only see him on the, on the Saturday Sundays. Cause we, we were seeing each other enough at the time. Now we're, now we're super, super close, but it's just kind mm-hmm. of funny to look back that we were just kind of over each other at the time there. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure Dan Ebert had it the same way. I don't know if he had much good to say, if you, if my name got brought up, I doubt he had much good to say. We used to get into <laughs> it a lot, me and Dan. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we definitely, um, I can think of more than a few times we screamed at each other off the track. So is <laughs> what it is. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. I, I like to hear those stories. It's, it's cool to hear that there was, there was rivalries back in the day. Cause frankly, you don't really see them anymore. Everybody's kind of growing down and goody goody. So it's always good oh, to hear yeah. a good, good rivalry story. I think I could think of a quick one. Uh, I can't remember the track it was at. It was at a casino, but, um, I remember we were coming into the last corner and I think it was for, it was for a qualifier. I think it was, and it was like going for second place and the corner had this big, big bowl turn uh, to the left. And it was, you could really hug the inside and cut kind of the whole corner off pretty much. And it was really wide corner and he went all the way wide and I tried to shoot all the way across and just kind of, I'll be straight, straight forward. I tried to clean his skis right out and I came in and he got on the, he came slid into the berm and got on the gas a lot quicker than I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And as he did, I crossed right over in front of him and he slammed into the back of my tunnel, like at like 40, you know what I mean? It was ridiculously fast and clean both of us out. And, uh, Oh my God, he came into my trailer afterwards and I was not thrilled in the slightest that we're screaming at each <laughs> other in the trailer and, and then, you know, I think, um, yeah, I don't know. A bunch of people got talked to and we got, you know, saw each other in the hotel and his dad was yelling at me in the hotel. And it, was, it was just <laughs> nonsense. Um, looking back, it's absolutely hilarious to me. Like I, I never shied away from that stuff. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I was a very friendly person, but I also, you know, I, there's plenty of people I did not like in the slightest, <laughs> when it, when it came to being on the track and, um, didn't, I was definitely not scared to show that in the slightest. So. Oh man. So one topic here I wanted to ask you about, and I know you haven't been super involved in the sport for the last 10 years or so, but obviously big ties to your family as well. This past season or this past summer, um, Nate Henches announced, you know, Henches is, is closing up shop and it's just, 
it's a big commitment for him and his family and he's just kind of moving on to that ne- next chapter in his life but just kind of curious your thoughts about Hench's racing finally stepping away yeah it's un- it's unfortunate man um i uh i spent so much time with Hench's over the year nate um and his parents and his brothers uh, they were just nothing but great people um they went above and beyond i mean on and off the track to just be honestly the greatest team owners i mean i I stayed at his parents house multiple times uh throughout the season they had this absolutely beautiful house i honestly didn't want to leave because it's way nicer than my house um (laughs) it's i mean it's beautiful and uh you know nate was just you know just he he would do anything to make the team uh run better and flow better and he was just overall just such a great guy that the entire family i mean they work incredibly hard you know um his father steve uh, owns a massive construction company and um i remember i'd, I'd crash at his house sometimes and i'd be you know getting up to the go to the gym at like 5 a.m and he'd be already eating breakfast out the door and like mm-hmm. he did he didn't need to be there you know what i mean he just he was just uh he would just work so hard and i think that was um instilled in nate and his brothers and um how he ran that team i think he did a i mean if he looks back on his you know his career being a team owner i think he did a a fantastic job honestly and got on the podium a lot and championships and wins he he's got to be up there for close to the most i would assume yeah, it's definitely going to be it's it's a big loss for the sport, and it's you could tell you know, even all the other team owner team owners were bummed about it. But it's as I said, it's a it's a big commitment, and you know at some point in time you gotta you got a family to focus on, you got the next step in your life. So, but yeah, it's a it's a big loss to to lose those guys for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, as the snowcross seasons go on, I feel like you know budgets get tighter and tighter, and. Mm-hmm unfortunately hasn't snowed great on the east coast anymore so that mm-hmm. doesn't help at all and you know it's I, i'm i'm happy to see that they're they're still keeping the series going it's been you know up and down for a few years and hopefully they can turn it back up so uh so we're not going to see brett bender motorsports in the in the near future that one's not that was not on the on the docket then no not a <laughs> not a chance man um <laughs> no i mean um yeah, these days I uh, kind of downhill mountain biking and uh, I surf out here on Lake Erie a lot, which is kind of funny. Mm-hmm. And um, just big into the big into the non-powered sports these days. Still have a dirt bike that doesn't get ridden much, and uh, go out on the boat a lot. But other than that, I'm you know just punching the nine to five. It's actually six to six to three, but uh, <laughs> but uh, it's um. It's been a it's been a good life post snowgrass. So awesome, awesome. I mean, are, are you able to share at all what you're what you're doing for your for your job? What you got up to these days, or is it is it top secret? No, no, I can share. Um, yeah, so I'm a, a buyer at a um, startup construction company. Um, it's M O O G Moog. Uh, it's a large aerospace company. I was a tech for years, and then um, okay. we have this startup uh, on the side where they're building um actuators for uh bobcats fleet they're battery powering oh yeah most of their fleet mm-hmm. and uh so we're supplying all the actuators for that and the uh the actual ebay system as well so i just took a buyer role over there it was a tech for years um so now like full desk job which is a super weird vibe <laughs> uh, but just getting in the hang of all that and uh 
yeah, there's there's definitely going to be some big things on the horizon for Moog. So um, I'm definitely excited to see where this takes me. Awesome. Awesome. You had mentioned kind of before it comes up from time to time that you were a snowmobile racer. So does what percentage of the of the company do you think knows knows who you are in the snowmobile world? I mean, I had like my little uh, teams photo, you know, is like a yeah. snow cross picture just because I think it's funny because a lot of people put their, you know, their uh, gl- like glamour shots by Deb photo yeah. up there, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> now I've got the snowmobile picture that other than that, probably not many um occasionally you know i'll get the the request to to uh it's never for me for sure it's always uh hey can i can i get your dad to sign something and I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like yeah sure it's fine uh which i which you know is i i i still get pumped for him you know what i mean that's yeah that's awesome um i actually uh i was at a party the other day and a friend of mine came up to me he's like yo i had dale Earnhardt uh jr's podcast on the other day and they were talking about your dad i was like oh wow that's crazy you know it yeah it's just cool to see that um that uh his name is just still so proud like like prominent in it and um i mean he's he's such a talented guy he's building the 1944 right now uh truck and uh he's got it on air ride and it's just absolutely ridiculous this thing he's building it's it's basically going to be like a stock car with a you know a truck on top of it so um it's it's pretty wild well, not that this is the uh, the Tim Bender podcast, but I am curious. Then, like, what is he now going to be basically fully retired, or is what's his plan? Yeah, fully retired. Funny. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know if that'll ever happen, man. Um, yeah, he's he's talked about it for the past like three years, you know. But uh, he he took a, a consulting job with Polaris this year. So, um, he won't have to travel as much, but he's still gonna, you know, do some behind the scenes work for him. And I don't know if he'll continue doing that or what. Um, he's kind of, you know, kind of starting to actually, you know, enjoy life a lot more. He's out on the boat a lot more in the summer. And I think this will be the, I don't think it's really fully kicked in until probably right about now, you know, that he's not going to be going as hard this snow, yeah. uh, snowmobile season. Cause it's kind of, if you really think about it, my dad's been at the snowmobile races or some sort of a race since like the early eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's might be his first like snow season kind of, you know, not off, but not traveling as much. Um, so that's probably going to be a bit of a, a, a shake for him here soon. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. He, he, he goes back and forth a lot. I mean, he just loves the competition. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, even when like, uh, you know, like when, um, Cam was, uh, on the team there and he, mm-hmm. he was doing really, really well and has done very well. And, you know, I'd, I'd call him usually on the Sunday when he's driving home and we would just talk about the race and, um, he would, <laughs> he just would be so frustrated, you know, if they, if they, the sleds <laughs> yep. weren't working you know sleds weren't running right and you know the the polaris um is is gotten better but it was a little bit down on power compared to the other sleds you know Mm -hmm. and it just drove him absolutely nuts there for a while you know so he's worked really hard and the teams worked really hard to to try to even the playing field out as as good as they possibly can and he just can't you know shut that off i would i would you know try to talk to him be like that it's not that bad like you know he you know, like, I mean, you guys, you know, took second or third or whatever, and he would still just be like, you know, banging his head off the steering wheel on the way home, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, <laughs> he's just a true competitor through and through, and he just wants to win at everything we do always, even if I, him and I compete at something, you know, he still wants to win, um, which is absolutely hilarious. So he's just, <laughs> he's definitely fun these days. Yeah, you can you can never truly take it out of a guy like that. Like it just it just it he's never not going to be that way. Like even I'm sure it will, he'll be he strikes as one of those guys that's going to like quote unquote retire for like a month and then he's going to get really fidgety and really anxious. He's going to have to go do something, you know. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely see. He's got he's got that pro, he's got a couple of projects here that'll definitely hopefully keep him uh as busy as possible. I I hope he uh you know, just enjoys life as, uh, and just, you know, takes the time and, um, kind of chills. I mean, he's put a lot of work into his career and he's done very well. And I was talking to him the other day, like just thinking about it, like I, other, I mean, like he's worked for teams and, you know, you know, for factories and stuff like that, but like, he's really never had a boss his entire life, which is mm -hmm. absolutely crazy. You know what I mean? Um, He's uh, so he's never really had to deal with the nonsense that I deal with. Um, but yeah, he's he's hopefully on the uh, on the back 40 enjoying it now. So awesome. Awesome. Well, we can wrap it up there for you, Brett. Again, I, I really appreciate the time. I know I'm sure when you got the message that came through from me, you're like, really? But, you know, you've you're always a big hit in the in the Facebook groups and stuff like that. So. I wanted to have you on. I think people are really going to enjoy it and what you had to say. So really appreciate the time for sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Spencer. Um, definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Definitely caught me off guard. It, it's funny. I don't, I don't have, uh, the, uh, uh, like Facebook anymore, but, um, occasionally people will just send me a, a photo that they see on there. Like one got posted like two days ago. I just laughed. I'm mm -hmm. like, what sparked that for somebody else? <laughs> but it's always just funny seeing comments and, I, I still think I had some of the coolest sleds out there. That all black 100%. one that we ran was, was so sick. I mean, I pushed for that for like three years in a row, trying to get us to just go all black. And uh, that blue National Guard before it looked really sharp mm -hmm. too. Um, it's funny. I've got actually my uh, my HCP Designs helmet sitting here. That's the crazy one. It's like yellow and zebra print and all that stuff. And yeah. I mean, his... I mean, he was killing it before that too, but I remember after everybody saw that helmet, he got like the craziest, you know, concepts from everybody being like, Oh, let's go nuts with it. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, I just always liked that, you know, the, the, the really sleek looking sled, which is the wild helmets and all that stuff. So it was just, it's, you know, it's kind of fun to catch the old photos here and there. For sure. For sure. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Brett. I'm hoping it was fun to kind of take a trip down memory lane and I'm sure everybody's going to enjoy it. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. For sure. Brett Bender on the Carbide Podcast. I'm really glad we were able to make this interview happen. We always hear the expression, you're only as good as your last race. And unfortunately that is true, but the sport also never forgets. I mentioned to a few people at Heydays this year that I was interviewing Brett, and I got the same response every time. Brett Bender. Dude, he was fast. Huge thanks again to Brett for the time. One of the cooler parts for me was hearing about his life outside of racing. Most racers all had the same hobbies and interests, so hearing Brett's passion for art and ink was a breath of fresh air. I appreciate everyone's support on the listen so far. Be sure to check out the Instagram page for cool photos and background on our guest. 
And as always, take care.